Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator and the editor of its US edition. We thought that 2020 was going to be all about the presidential election, but now it will forever be the year of the pandemic. So instead, Americano is going to look at how COVID-19 is transforming the United States and its politics. There's a lot to talk about, perhaps even more so than before. So please keep tuning in. I'd like to draw your attention to our Memorial Day flash sale, which will be running until Monday, the 25th of May. It's a very good offer. You get three issues of The Spectator for just $3. Um, that includes monthly delivery of the magazine, unlimited access to spectator.us, our newsletters and our podcasts, and full access to the digital archives. Do take advantage of it by going to spectator.us forward slash Memorial Day. I'm joined today by John Rick MacArthur, who is publisher of Harper's Magazine. And we're going to be asking, is Donald Trump more left wing than Biden? Now, Rick, you have a fascinating piece in this week's Spectator, suggesting you, you sort of flirt, I think, with the idea that Trump is more left wing than Biden. But you come down on, on the side of probably not. But however, I think you do make a better case than you, you perhaps make out in the piece. Because as you say, he said this remark last week that uh, cheap labour has turned out to be very expensive, which is really a sort of um, argument that was used against the liberalisation of the economy in the 1990s. Do you think Trump means it at all when he says things like that? Well, it's hard to tell how much he's acting and how much he really believes things because he's so, I mean, frankly, deranged when he talks. He sounds deranged and he's He's the the Fox interview that I talk about in the Spectator piece is one of his better moments. If you watch it, the whole thing, there's less self-aggrandizement and more. If I if I can may I dare can I dare say thoughtfulness in in his <laughs> at least his tone. But I'm basing my notion of Trump's progressive sounding talk on hard evidence because. I don't think the voters are fools. And we know that in 2016, between seven and nine million Obama voters voted for Trump. And these are people, presumably, and, and at least 200,000 voted for him. Sanders supporters voted for him in the three crucial states of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, which threw the Electoral College to him. And these people are not racist because they voted for Obama, and they're not stupid because they realized that the Democratic Party, led by people like Biden, Clintonians through and through, had supported all the legislation that had hurt them, particularly the trade legislation, NAFTA, permanent normal trade relations with China, Biden's bankruptcy bill, which makes it harder to declare personal bankruptcy and seek protection from creditors, the uh, repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act, which increased the power of Wall Street, allowed investment banks and um, commercial banks to merge or to be the same thing, ended the separation between those two things. And so, and now we see a Trump, and I didn't have room for this in the piece, who has embraced deficit spending on a massive scale. I mean, he makes Keynes look like a wimp. You can't say he's in any way like Herbert Hoover uh, in his response to the depression. And He's grudgingly used the federal government. He's getting a little bit better at it 
to do things like Roosevelt did, which was to really seize control of the economy and make things happen, like the invocation of the uh, the use of the Defense Production Act, where he's he's now ordering companies to make ventilators, which weren't made here or hardly were made here. He's ordering, he was able to get 3M to start making masks. Now, this is in fits and starts. It doesn't come naturally to him. But if you followed Clinton's approach to the economy, he was very much a deficit hawk. He was, you know, his great claim to fame was balancing the budget. He was advised by people like Lawrence Summers and uh, Robert Rubin, who were more deficit hawks than in some in some respects than Keynesians and certainly big free traders. And now you see Joe Biden, who is absolutely the, the, the sine qua non, the last word in Clintonian orthodoxy. He's having conversations with uh, Lawrence Summers to the horror of the left. So my argument is that Trump, even if he doesn't mean it, although I do think he, he is disgusted by the idea that the F-35 fuselage is made in Turkey. I yeah, think he did really sound bothers. very upset. That really, really makes him sick. Yeah. Uh, th- there's an argument that he is running and off and can run to the left of Biden, who is absolutely in a straitjacket, because the reason he got the nomination is because the Democratic Party establishment was so horrified by Bernie Sanders that he might run away with it. So I don't know how he 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 walks that he walks that back and suddenly says, "Well, I'm for huge deficit spending, and I'm for I'm against free trade. I want to restore the Glass-Steagall Act, and I want to take on Wall Street." I can't see that happening. Whereas Trump can say, "Look, I reformed NAFTA. It's not great, but he did improve it uh, with this new this new agreement and uh, between Canada, Mexico, and the United States. It's a little and parts of it sound very left wing. I have spent a fortune. We're doing deficit spending like nobody's business, you know. Like, like you said last time around, what do you got to lose? Yeah, <laughs> with me. Well, what? Well, I mean, let me put it to you that maybe Trump is sincere about this because you know he's been saying it for quite a long time, as he always points out, and as his supporters always point out, he's been talking about how American workers have been screwed relentlessly for decades. It's probably the one thing he's been most consistent on. And then, as you say, in the, in the renegotiation of NAFTA, Lighthizer, the US trade representative, has put in protections of workers, you know, which is something that unions and people like that have been crying out for for a long time. And I mean, if you, if you take sort of ideology out of it, it's fair to say he, he has maybe stuck to his word on trade and things. I mean, he has fought a trade war with China. And as the new book title goes, trade wars are class wars. And Donald Trump seems willing to fight them, whereas a lot of people in politics, Biden especially, I'd say, aren't willing to fight trade wars with China. Absolutely not. And uh, not only uh, does Lighthizer get labor rights in there, he gets rights in for Mexicans. There's There's a provision... I thought Trump hated Mexicans, right? But in the new uh, trade agreement between the United States, Canada, and Mexico, there are guarantees for Mexican workers to be able to organize freely. Now, yeah. it's not going to happen anytime soon, but but symbolically, it's quite significant. The, the, the argument being that American workers are not only at a disadvantage vis-a-vis Mexican workers because Mexicans work for a dollar an hour or along the border, they might work 
for $5 an hour closer to Mexico City. But they also are part of a labor racketeering scheme. In other words, the, the national union in Mexico forever, for many, many decades, was owned by the, the ruling party, the PRI. And uh, their job was to suppress strikes, not to encourage them, and to prevent competition from legitimate, honest unions. So there are some very radical sounding things in the, in the, uh, the new agreement. So although until you, until you change the, the wage disparity and you take away, if you took away the uh, investment guarantee, because the main thing in, the, in NAFTA that carried over to this new agreement is investor protection. And that's the, that's the central thing about the agreement, which says that if the Mexican government suddenly gets ornery or too left wing and seizes American assets, the American company will be compensated by a, an international or a, a non-Mexican tribunal in, in dollars or euros or civilized currency, not pesos. Yeah. So this is not a game changer for the American worker, but it does allow Trump legitimately to get up on the stump this fall and say, I reformed NAFTA and Biden voted for NAFTA. I took on the Chinese. Biden voted for permanent normal trade relations with China, which got them into the WTO, put them on an equal footing and opened the floodgates to outsourcing to China. Because again, nothing was stopping American companies from moving to China or Mexico before, except fear of expropriation. Remember, China is a communist country technically speaking. So American businessmen were afraid to, go, and Mexico is very corrupt. American businessmen were afraid to operate factories there. But this is, this is where I'm slightly baffled as to how Biden seems to be, he seems to be a Teflon candidate in many ways, which is odd because he doesn't seem to be doing very well, but in the polls, he, he keeps succeeding. And he seems to appeal to voters in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan in these these crucial swing states, and he seems to appeal to working class workers. Why is that? I mean, given his track record, why do you think that is? Well, we'll see. I mean, the campaign hasn't really started yet, and Trump now is being judged almost entirely on his performance with the COVID nineteen. So, one one day. Trump looks like he's more or less sane, and the next day he looks insane. So obviously he's he's provoking a lot of anger among s s more sane people when he says that he wants you know he's you might want to try in injecting yourself with disinfectant. But we are not yet in a on a level playing field. In other words, he's not out on the stump reminding people. That when the chips when the chips were in the favor of you know Clintonian economics and against the American worker, Biden supported Clintonian economics. The only thing that's the thing that's constraining Trump is the Republican Party. The Republican Party, in principle, loves free trade and hates deficit spending. They're going along with Trump because he's uh, he's a vote getter and they're afraid of him. But Trump can't fully divorce himself from the Republican Party, at least not yet, and embrace, let's say, massive public works programs. I, su I suspect what Biden is going to come up with is big public works programs and say, we need a, a, a Roosevelt-style New Deal. You know, we'll rebuild all the sewers and the 
and the roads and the uh, bridges and so on. And what's Trump done for you lately? So Trump is going to be constrained in that in that regard. And it's going to be harder for him to be heard about the trade stuff. But he will talk about it. He's already he already tweeted about it and already, as I as I said in the piece, invited Bernie Sanders supporters to vote for him based on his positions on trade. And he seems in a very bizarre way, he seems genuinely sympathetic to uh, or, or as genuinely as he can get with Trump, sympathetic to Bernie's plight because he got messed about by the, the, the nomination process, as he puts yes, it. Yes, his, his, his analysis of what was done to Sanders is impeccable. I don't know if it was fed to him or he figured it out himself, but it was exactly the way he's described it. It was all choreographed. They saw Sanders getting out in front in the Nevada primaries. They got this guy, Jim Clyburn, who's the Democratic boss of South Carolina, to endorse Biden, which helped Biden win South Carolina by a bigger number. Then they got Buttigieg and Klobuchar to, to drop out just before Super Tuesday and endorse Biden. But crucially, Warren stays in. Yeah. Even though she's supposed to be uh, Bernie's ideological ally. Right. And that takes enough votes away from Bernie to deny him victory in in most of the states. If she had endorsed him, of course, it would have been he would have been back in business. But even if he hadn't endorsed, even if she didn't endorse him, just dropping out would have left the field clear to Bernie and give people and helped him immensely. But she stayed in just long enough to knock him out. Bloomberg also helped by buying his way into the debate, the last debate, big debate, and calling Bernie a communist. That was a, that was a major, major move. I see Warren has, has moved to Biden's position on health care now, perhaps in, in order to become his vice presidential nominee. I mean, that, as you pointed out in your excellent cover piece for us way back in November, she always felt like a sort of phony left-wing candidate. Absolutely. She's the candidate of Paul Krugman. She's the Paul Krugman being the New York Times uh, liberal economic columnist, being the ultimate in what I consider fake liberalism, phony liberalism. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the working class. He cares about the professorial class and the, the people from all the academic departments at Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Columbia, et cetera. They all believe essentially in the same things. And Warren comes out of that world, Harvard Law School and so on. And she, she's no threat to the establishment. So it's not, not surprised to me in any, any regard that she's now, she was only supporting Medicare for all because she had to, to compete with Bernie Sanders. Now she's comfortable, I think, going back to a more moderate mainstream democratic position, which is amazing because Warren got her start in politics because she, allegedly because she was angry at Biden for uh, sponsoring and getting past this bankruptcy bill back in 2005 that made it so hard for ordinary people down on their luck to get protection against credit card companies. The new bankruptcy and This was law, when Biden was known as the, the credit card candidate, wasn't he? They, they called him the, the senator card. from MBNA, which was based in Wilmington, Delaware, Biden's home state and home home city. And Biden, of course, like a typical hack, because he is the quintessential hack politician, was supporting the hometown, the hometown industry and also conveniently supporting something that Wall Street likes and banks like. You know, they like to be able to collect on their debts. 
he's he's a he's the creditor candidate and you could again argue that uh, trump despite the fact he's a rich kid i guess you could call him some kind of plutocrat he he thinks of himself as a debtor against the creditor powers because if you know his history he was flat on his back because of very poor investments in atlantic city and citibank and the others almost shut the door on him almost shut him down and he he managed to talk his way out of it and build his company back up but he's always been at odds with the creditor class so i don't see him as a uh, as an enemy of the of the of the debtor class which is most everyone and i think if he he's able to say that during the campaign again he can score points against biden that are irrefutable just irrefutable biden has no What's he going to say? No, I did. I didn't support this. I didn't support this bankruptcy bill. If you file for bankruptcy now, uh, I guess if you file under Chapter Seven for bankruptcy, it's very hard to get into Chapter Eleven, which is better. The rule now is that the credit card companies can continue to bleed you. In other words, in the old system, a judge would say, "Okay, you're protected. You don't have to pay anything, and you can negotiate a one-shot deal settlement, a lump sum." And that's between you and the creditor. Now they bleed you over <laughs> as long as they can in small monthly payments that you can't get out of. It, it gives you much less leverage as a creditor. I was just going to ask, I mean, to what extent is it a left-right thing anymore? I mean, particularly look at something like trade. And is, are we just falling into a sort of Steve Bannon view of the world, economic nationalism versus globalism? And Biden is the candidate of globalism and Trump is the candidate of economic nationalism. Well, uh, there again, Trump is not sophisticated enough to make those kinds of distinctions, but he is sophisticated enough, I mean, up to a point, to make the distinction between the elites and the non-elites. And it's clear that his, when he speaks to a crowd, again, it's distressing, it's, a lot of it is idiotic, but he's, he's able to connect with people who feel like they've really gotten the shaft and that the elites don't care about them. And they are right. The Clinton version of the elite does not care about them, or never did. I mean, remember, Clinton is the guy who threw all these black women off welfare, the so-called welfare reform bill. I mean, he's no, he's no liberal sap, you know, feeling sorry for minorities. He's, he puts the cold steel to the, not only to the minorities, but to the working class with, with NAFTA. And Trump, even though he's a phony, as I point out in my piece, he likes cheap labor when it works for him. Illegal poles on his work on his construction sites in the 80s, uh, which he got in trouble for, and uh, uh, illegal undocumented Latinos working in his hotels and clubs. When he talks to these groups, maybe not to black people, but the poor whites or lower middle class whites, they feel they've got someone they can turn to. You know, and uh, that certainly Clinton, Obama, they could not turn to them or Chuck Schumer, the uh, the, the minority leader in the Senate, the Democratic minority leader. If, if Trump does successfully run to the left of Biden, do you think there's no stopping his reelection? No, I don't. I think I think what's stopping his reelection is that, again, I, if I were a Democratic strategist, this is what I would be trying to do. If they are able to present it as a referendum on Trump, he probably will lose by a little bit. But there again, he could lose by a little bit 
in the popular vote and still win the Electoral College. So it's going to be very, I think it's going to be very close again. I, I can't, I can't predict. The other thing that you can't do control with Trump is his powers of self-destruction. You know, the people forget quickly that he says crazy things like uh, he did about injecting yourself with, with disinfectant. But what that shows is that he's capable of doing another thing, something else equally or even more idiotic at a crucial moment just before November 3rd. So Biden is also capable of saying <laughs> idiotic things, though, and has said them. He's astonishingly inarticulate. And what I'm, I'm interested in seeing is whether Biden can even stand up to Trump in a debate. He's terrible. Trump, I mean, you could not pick. A, I think the Spectator ran an editorial right after he, uh, Sanders dropped out. Biden, seriously? Question mark. Anyone looking at this guy is saying you could not put up a weaker candidate against against Trump, not just on the record, based on his record, which I've described, but based on his his persona, his somnambulance, his inability to articulate anything. Well, I've, I've actually just started sketching out a piece yeah. that, uh, that I think perhaps Biden is protected by his senility or the appearance of his senility, because... In a funny way, in the kind of craziness of 21st century politics, he isn't seen to be a bad guy because he so obviously doesn't have a clue what he's thinking. So, I mean, the Ukraine stuff slides off him. You know, his track record on you know credit card lobbying slides off him. Every issue, really, he's been slippery. And yet he gets away with it because he presents himself as a good old boy. And also because he's he's slightly not with it, people find it hard to loathe him or to fixate on his sins. Yeah. And I think you, you, you saw that in his last debate with Sanders, where Sanders just could not bring himself to deliver the cold steel. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't really deliver the coup de grace. He couldn't, I think Sanders really does kind of like him or he feels sorry for him. Yeah. And he couldn't really get mean with him the way you have to get mean. Trump has no such qualms scruples. Or, or scruples. <laughs> and so it's going to be again. It's once Trump gets out on the on the campaign trail, you know. I think I think it's going to be tougher for Biden to hide from him. Right now, he's able to hide and he's able to let Trump hang himself when he says something crazy. But if Trump gets on message, gets on script, and keeps hammering, and the economy starts to come back uh, a little bit, he's in reasonably good shape. Now, the one issue we're staying off of is Me Too and Tara Reid. Biden's accuser. Now, I have a tendency to let, to sort of poo-poo those things because I don't take them seriously as as substantively as substantive issues. I mean, let's assume the worst that he did grab her or whatever and aggress her in a in in a was it in a corridor? It was in a corridor. In yeah, public? it was an assault yeah. in yeah. a corridor. Yeah, allegedly. Not likely to have gone very far. It wasn't in a hotel room, which would have yeah. really put him in trouble. But it has got resonance with a certain number of women. It puts the New York Times and the other Me Too spokesmen in a difficult position because they have to prove that they're not going easy on Biden, that they're not hypocrites, since Biden said you have to believe the, the accuser without any evidence, <laughs> as, as, as they did with, without any, anything more than her say-so, as they did with the accuser of Brett Kavanaugh. And, and he also has the Anita Hill baggage. You go back even farther, 
he treated Anita Hill, who accused uh, uh, Clarence Thomas of sexual harassment way back in the 90s, he treated her very shabbily. So, you know, when the Senate was really an old boys network, a club, and he's very vulnerable on that. If Trump, and so Trump, I mean, Trump obviously has nothing to brag about in his relations with women or his attitude towards women, but he can blunt any attack on that by going back at Biden about Tara Reid and Anita Hill. Well, I wonder if it might actually help Biden perversely in that, um, I mean, he certainly since that, since the Tara Reid story has been bubbled up, his poll numbers have got better. And I think, you know, most fair-minded people don't really want to blame someone for a historical allegation that seems pretty thin. Right. And if anything, it induces sympathy in the candidate. And if the more Biden can distance right. himself from the sort of uh, screaming harridans of the New York Times, then the, the the better it might be for him for the rest of the population. That's an excellent point. And it, and it probably, in the end, helped Kavanaugh. If they'd gone after Kavanaugh on the substance, they would have had a better chance, I think, of stopping him than rolling the dice at the last minute on the uh, strength of one accusation by one woman when the guy was a teenager. You know, it just didn't. It, it backfired. Well, Rick, I think we'll end it there. But um, thank you very much, as always, for joining us. And please join us again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite. 